Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Hello, my name is Laura and I'm going to be reading the Bible for us this morning. The reading today is from Romans chapter 12. Uh, It's all of Romans chapter 12. So if you want to find a Bible and get to that page. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and, in each mem- and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be encouraged. Morning again, everyone. It's a great uh, privilege to be meeting together again in these uncertain times. Uh, We're in Romans 12, in case you didn't notice. 
And uh, on Tuesday, we talked about the good life and the place of the mind in the good life and uh, how we're meant to offer our whole selves to God in dedication and prove that God's way of living is the best way to live. And then yesterday, we looked at how to think about ourselves. Uh, We have gifts from God and we're to use them with gusto. And then in the last part of the chapter, verses 9 to 21, Paul moves on to how to live effectively. It's the most practical bit of the section, if you like. And the emphasis is on love. And uh, all you need is love is the title of my sermon. So we're moving on from Madonna yesterday to the Beatles today. So uh, what does love look like? Well, the context, I think, is quite important. You might be surprised to learn. And I think love has come up several times in Romans already. So you've had in Romans 5 and in Romans Uh, twice in Romans 5, once in Romans 8, the love of God is that which defines us now and in the future. So love is really important for our very person, for our identity. And uh, in Romans 8 also, you get the love of Christ, which will protect us uh, from trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, and so on. So love's really important, it seems, in the book of Romans. And of course, the Lord Jesus himself gave his disciples a new commandment, he called it, uh, to love one another. And most startlingly, he said, to love your enemies. Now, as it turns out, those two commandments really are what divides our passage. So the first part of the passage is all about loving one another. And then uh, uh, the second half is about loving your enemies. Now, it's a bit of a stretch, you might think. Uh, Does uh, verses 9 to 16, do they really simply concerned love. There's a few times mentioned in the passage. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. And then for the Greek nerds, verse 13, practice hospitality, has a little word love tucked into uh, the Greek word for hospitality. Uh, So love is a big theme, but the grammar is also very important. Now, I don't preach like this outside of Ridley Chapel, so <laughs> don't get the wrong idea. So, but the, the love must be sincere is really the governing heading and command. And then you get a bunch of participles from verses, uh, the rest of verse 9 down to verse 14. So it's kind of how to love, their, their manner or means, I think, although there's some debate about the background to them, but uh, we'll leave it at that. So love must be genuine. Paul says. And I think this passage is entirely about love. And it's interesting that you might find this interesting, I do, that 1 Corinthians 13 is very similar to this passage. A lot of the uh, notes that are struck there uh, are struck here as well. So it's all about love. And according to Paul, love is all you need, but that needs to be elaborated and uh, uh, the uh, uh, boots need to hit the, the pavement. And he tells us how to do that here. It's a beautiful passage. So you could read this passage. Love must be sincere. How? By hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. By being devoted to one another in love. By honouring one another above yourselves. By never being lacking in zeal. By keeping a spiritual fervour. By serving the Lord. By being joyful in hope. By being patient in affliction. By being faithful in prayer by sharing with the Lord's people in need, by practising hospitality. So all of these things relate to love in one way or another. And I love the heading, love must be sincere. It shouldn't be tokenistic. 
It shouldn't have any pretense. It shouldn't be in any way fake and, or showy. And uh, the one that got me personally in preparation was when I show love to someone by saying, I'm so sorry to hear that, I'll pray for you. Do I actually do it? Yeah. And so Paul says, if you're going to show love, notice that, you have to be, end of verse 12, faithful, consistent, diligent in prayer. Now, genuine love then is a costly thing. It's going to cost you time. It takes great patience and hope. It's easy to love someone when things are going well for you and for them. It requires us to be devoted to someone in love, sticking with them over the long haul when the ups and downs of joy and mourning and of affliction are happening. It takes a quiet spiritual fervour and faithful prayer to really love someone. Now, I thought I'd use my example, uh, myself as an example of love, um, but don't fear, I'm going to talk about being loved. Yeah, so it's in the passive voice, not the active. So there have been, uh, I'll give you an example of a big example. And uh, interesting, reading this passage, the kind of love I received really hits a lot of these notes. And then a much smaller example. Would you like the small one first or the bigger one? A bit of audience participation. Who'd like small? Who'd like big? Only, uh, oh, you want the big. Okay, you're outvoted, Judd. <laughs> okay, uh, genuine love is costly. Now, at the most difficult time of my life uh, to date, I always remember my father, when I told him I was going through a difficult time, he said, as any, only a Holocaust survivor could say, things can always get worse. <laughs> anyway, at the most difficult, that was comforting in some strange way. So uh, at the most difficult time of my life, which lasted several years, there were some friends who stuck with me. And it sounds dramatic, but they saved my life effectively. And they did that by their very practical love. So Peter and Sheena had me and the children over every Tuesday and uh, made an enormous difference to my uh, mood and uh, that kind of practical assistance was of great value. I had some lifelong friends who stuck with me. Frank used to ring me every Sunday night. Now, Frank's not the most empathetic person in the world um, and often the conversation would go like this. Um, so, but, so there, there was a sense in which that constancy was nonetheless very helpful. Um, Martin, another lifelong friend, uh, took me for bushwalks um, on occasion to kind of clear my head and uh, give me some perspective on things. And again, Martin's not the most uh, complimentary guy in the world. He enjoys telling the story in one of our bushwalks where he got me to peel the onion. And at that point in my life, I wasn't that practical with food. And I, I peeled it, I started cutting it up without peeling it first, which was a bit embarrassing, but anyway. So, so that kind of practical assistance is an example of the kind of love that Paul is uh, commending to us in this passage. So it's, this is the kind of audit sermon. So you just go through the elements and think, am I really patient and uh, devoted to people? Am I regarding their situations with hope? The big problem for people in a college, and I've mentioned this before, is we train you to be selfish. Yeah? The faculty in particular, we have a career of selfishness. We've focused on our learning, on our publications, 
uh, to make ourselves look, look good enough in order to get the job and keep the job. Yep. And the students, again, we're constantly appraising you and comparing you. So it's very easy to become obsessed with your own interests. Uh, but love is about putting the interests of others ahead of yourself. So there's, love's not just for the college, of course. You're in all sorts of settings outside of college uh, where love can be expressed. More recently, less dramatically, I've, you're probably sick of hearing about it, I was in a two-week quarantine. Yes, yeah, so when you were locked down, I was locked up. And uh, it was pretty rough, uh, particularly for my wife. So uh, being uh, locked up with me and Toby, I mean, we're both extroverts and have a lot of words to say each day, and Nat was our only audience. So uh, Nat would have her hands over her face sometimes uh, just at the uh, uh, torrent of words coming her way. Uh, I tried to do my 30-minute, I, I try and do a jork, which is a jog and a walk, um, my, my style of jogging is I'm looking for, to keep the Olympic theme going, I'm looking for a disqualification in the Olympic walk. So that's the speed at which I'm jogging, yeah. And uh, trying to do that around the garden, is a 560 square metre property and there's a house on it, and it wasn't that easy. Yeah? So I just, the first 10 days I would just do a walk for 30 minutes and listen to something uh, on the phone. And uh, by the end of it, at, at one point, I discovered a new pathway in my 15-metre uh, radius. You remember the five-kilometre radius you discovered new parks? I found a new pathway. Instead of walking down past the cars, I could walk on the other side. It was very exciting. So I put that on Facebook. And uh, um, a number of people showed love to us in that rather um, minor uh, period of this comfort that we had. So one Ridley grad, actually, I'm still in touch with and we uh, get coffees now and then. His comment on my Facebook post was, oh dear, he's lost it. I'll bring you a coffee. So he did that. And that was very kind. That really cheered me. I mean, when the front doorbell goes and you're in lockup, it's, it's amazing. Just the delight. Everyone runs to the door. Yeah. So we had people uh, uh, just looking into how we were going. People brought meals. They did shopping for us. Some of the shopping you can't get and uh, they often bring you the wrong stuff. Uh, we had uh, um, cards, we had some flowers from someone. So it, it was a lovely example of Christian love being sincere. Genu let love be genuine. Yeah, that's what Paul's uh, commending to us. Now, not everyone's experience is like what I've just described. So I want to be careful not to uh, pretend that Christian fellowship is perfect. It's not. And there have been other times in my life when I could have done with more love and didn't get it. But nonetheless, uh, genuine love, Christian love, inspired by God's and Christ's love for us is a beautiful thing. Okay, that's the first half of the passage. And Jesus did say, they will know you are Christians by your love. Yeah? So the emphasis on love is only appropriate. Now, what about loving your enemies, which is Jesus' second command? And Paul deals with that in verse 14 and then 17 to 21. So Paul recognises loving your enemies is no easy gig. Yep. So loving each other's, you've got to be genuine and stick with it, but loving your enemies is, is even harder. So we got good six verses on loving your enemies, even if we had seven on uh, loving each other. Uh, if you think loving others is hard, then loving your enemies is harder. Um, and I think we can see both on a personal level 
and on a national level, the fact of retaliation and where that leads. Yep, retaliation leads to escalation. And, uh, and that happens all around the world. Human history is basically defined by retaliation. But this isn't just non-retaliation, notice. And sometimes Jesus' ethic of love is described, and there are books called that, uh, non-retaliation in the ancient world, Jesus as the example, because he says to feed your enemy and give them something to drink. So it's not just a negative, it's not just not cursing them, it's blessing them. Yep, so that, that's the challenge here. Now, interestingly, you get four antitheses. Again, I wouldn't use that word outside of college, but uh, you know what it means. So you get four antitheses in the passage, which are basically saying the same thing. Look at it. Verse 14, bless and do not curse. Yep. Uh, and then verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge. And verse 21, uh, this amazing line, do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome evil with good. So it's saying the same thing all the way through. We're to love our enemies, but it really reinforces it very strongly. Now, do you and I have enemies? It's um, we, Most of us would probably say not really, uh, but I think that as usual, as we saw on Tuesday, the culture around us will affect our behaviour, and uh, the good life is countercultural. The culture around us is becoming more and more angry. Have you noticed that? And really, what we have is cursing is in vogue these days. Cursing's the way to go, basically. Western society seems to have taken a turn for the worse when it comes to anger management. At one time, an ill-thought-out uh, statement might have got you shunned at a party. These days, you can get cancelled, and and people have lost their jobs, their well-being. And uh, all sorts of terrible things can happen. Uh, we live, uh, as one commentator puts it, hatred is everywhere, empathy and its cousins' civility are nowhere. We live in a culture of reflexive outrage. There are internet pylons, rabid twitch hunts. Not sure what any of this is, but anyway. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of bad stuff happening out there, isn't there? Uh, one psychology professor at Stanford said that the internet is undermining our natural capacity for empathy because it provides endless opportunities for hateful abuse and toxic tribalism. You've got the call-out culture where uh, people who are allies of a marginalised group will see something that's said on, on some kind of social media and, uh, and, and they'll pile on. Uh, all sorts of things. There was one, uh, the, the most unfortunate one I remember a few years ago, there was one uh, uh, young woman in the US who went to her prom dressed in an Asian um, dress. What's that called? Uh, no, no, come on. Uh, no, I, no, it's not a sari. It was a, yes, thank you. What's it called again? Yes, what she said. So, uh, um, and, and everyone piled on and said, and my culture is not your um, dress and so on. And, and the irony was that the guy, the Asian guy who said it, was wearing a baseball cap. But uh, like hundreds of thousands of people piled on. And we do live in that incredible world where we've got a kind of toxic tribalism happening. Now, the warning for us, friends, is we just don't want to be part of this. So, so I implore you. Just be careful what you post online. 
And it's incredibly ironic, isn't it, that in order to support a marginalised group, whether it's racial, ethnic, um, gender or sexuality or whatever, the way to support them is to be vicious towards another group. So bizarre. Uh, and that's, that's what we see. There's a kind of ugly tribalism that's coming. We live in a culture of uh, contempt. Apparently road rage is also on the rise, kind of angry and aggressive behaviour behind the wheel of a car. There was one uh, study I read where uh, when someone feels an offence has been made on the road, uh, you can have long horn honks, swerving, tailgating, and then uh, attempts to fight the driver. Um, in one survey, 86% of us feel aggressive behind the wheel and 20% admit to chasing other cars. <laughs> it's a jungle out there, so just be careful. Um, one way of understanding what's going on in our society, how do we get here? It, it's got, I think, to do with expressive individualism, and there's a book in that. But apart from that, I think it's what's called motive attribution asymmetry. Again, this is not something I would use in the pulpit. <laughs> and what that is, is my ideology is based on your love. Your ideology is based on hate. Yep. So you basically attribute to the other group hateful motivations. This happens all the time. It's just appalling. And, uh, so it, it, and it's encouraged by divisive politicians, screaming heads on television, hateful columnists, angry campus activists, um, there's a kind of contempt machine out there. So my, my advice, again, is uh, two things. You've got your politics. The main thing to remember is the Labor, the Liberal, the Greens, whatever it is, your politics, that's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So you want to make sure that that's the message you're sending. And so many people, are, have, they seem to have a stronger political view than they do about the Lordship of Christ. It's simply an impression, of course, given on um, social media. I know a bishop who posts, he's kind of rusted on liberal and another bishop who's rusted on labour. And the, the actual contempt for the other side comes through in social media. It's just unwise. Um, echo chambers are part of the problem. If you read the news, you can't just read one side. Okay, so if you read The Age and The Guardian, you need to get a subscription to The Australian. Yeah? And if you're just reading The Australian, you need to read The Age and The Guardian. Okay, So that kind of thing is, is really significant. And I think in our day, loving your enemies, anger is just everywhere. And we, we need to not be part of it. We need to be countercultural to have our minds renewed. Now, how can we love our enemies? It's a tough gig, and there's a lot of stuff in the New Testament about this. Um, the fact that we are to remember our forgiveness, as Jesus says, forgive others as we forgive, as we've been forgiven. So that's one thing in the Lord's Prayer. We're to keep it short, keep our anger short. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, which is what uh, um, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. What we have here is really intriguing. Did you notice? He says, don't take revenge, but rather let God do the business of justice. That's what drives most anger, the sense of injustice, that kind of burning sense, this is just wrong. 
someone's getting away with this. This is wrong. This needs to be put right. And what we need to do is let God do that. We have a beautiful story on this score. The world will be put to right one day. And we need to leave God room to do that. Have a look. It's exactly what it says. It says, uh, the apostle says, don't uh, repay anyone evil for evil. As far as possible, live at peace with everyone. That's another good piece of advice. Don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. It's kind of stunning, isn't it? Leave room for God's wrath. Then he quotes Proverbs. It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So repaying wrong for wrong, evil for evil, is not what Christians are to do. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That sounds rather unpleasant. But really, in the Old Testament, ancient Near Eastern context, the burning coals was a way of showing your repentance. So Paul does a couple of things here. The first is he says it's possible by behaving this way, someone will come around and you'll be restored in your relationship to them. Um, but on the other hand, even if that doesn't happen, you need to let God be God. And this, I mean, this, this passage doesn't really bite for most of us because we don't suffer that many enemy assaults. Imagine reading this passage in some parts of the world where Christians are persecuted. This is good news. The good news is we don't retaliate because one day God will put the world to right. So how to love your enemy? Uh, we should remember our forgiveness. We should keep it short. We should, uh, uh, as far as possible, live at peace with everyone. And then, as it has here, we should let God be God. And if we do that, Paul has this wonderful promise at the end. Do not, was well, not a promise, but a command. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, by retaliating, but overcome evil with good. Now, the great example of that is, of course, the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus on the cross prayed for the forgiveness of his enemies. And I think that's what we need to remember. And in the context of Romans, the practical teaching in Romans is really summed up in chapter 8 in that famous passage where it says that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. So we're to forgive our enemies in the light of the fact that the Lord Jesus forgave his enemies. We need to be like God's son in that respect. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.